everybody. This is Pavel, CBDO at 100 Conferences. Welcome to our first session of 100 Conferences podcast with 3TS in 2021. Today's guest is Gail McManus, founder and director at PER, and the session will be moderated by Yasmina, communication and investment manager at 3TS Capital Partners. Discussion today is going to be primarily about diversity in private equity. Yasmina, I'm passing the word to you now. Thank you very much, Pavel. Hi, everyone. Also from my side, my name is Yasmina and I'm the host of today's episode. Today, I'm joined by Gail McManus. She's the founder and director of the Private Equity Recruitment, so PER. And she's also an important ambassador of diversity and inclusion in the private equity and venture capital industries. Hi, Gail. Welcome. Uh, thank you, Yasmina. Yes, and thank you very much for inviting me to take part in this today. Um, when you first got in touch with me, I was very flattered. And then I thought, mm, diversity, it's such an awkward subject to talk about. Do I really want to make everybody feel a little bit awkward and uncomfortable today? And then I thought, actually, yes, of course I do. That's the whole point of this. So hopefully we can all be prepared for a difficult and awkward few minutes. And if you don't squirm or feel mildly embarrassed at least once during the next 30 minutes, then I've probably not done my job today. Great. Thank you so much, Gail. It's a big pleasure to having you. I invited Gail today to talk about hiring and retaining diverse talent in B. But before we jump into that, I'd love you, Gail, to tell us a little bit about yourself and about your career. How did you get to where you are right now? Yes, thank you. So I'd be delighted to tell you a little bit about me. And I don't often talk about my background, but it might be a little bit instructive to help see why I'm so passionate about diversity and inclusion um, now and today. So, so I went to London Business School to study for an MBA straight from university. And this was a really unusual thing to do at the time, but LBS wanted to bring more women into its classes. So actually, I was a diversity student. And then two years later, I uh, achieved my MBA and I got my first job at 3i as an investment professional. 3i wanted to do something about its gender diversity. So again, I was a diversity hire. And how do I feel about this? Well, actually, great. I was able to take some opportunities because of my gender. And I know I have more than repaid that opportunity by the value I have brought to every organization I've been involved in. Frankly, they were all lucky to have me, but it shouldn't have had to be like that. And yet, this was 40 years ago, and we're still having the same conversations. So I hope you can see that, you know, there are things in my own background that really make me feel these conversations are important ones to have. And then you know, I was made redundant from 3i. And I have to say, I know 3TS has a lot of connections with 3i. And I absolutely love my job. I love 3i. I loved everything about it. And uh, if I hadn't been made redundant, I'd still be there. But that day still sticks with me because I was made redundant with the words, Gail, you'll be able to spend more time with your family now. And we have to be so careful about the messages that we give and that we leave with our talented young people 
as they make their career journeys. So that's just a little bit of background about me before I set up PER. And actually, you know, I'm totally convinced that we all have to manage our own career. They won't be managed for us. And uh, that's one of the reasons also that I get so involved in helping people from other diverse backgrounds who maybe aren't in that same dominant demographic as the people who are leading the organizations they work for to really help them and think about how they develop their careers. And I think we'll have the opportunity today perhaps to talk a bit more about how to get more diverse people into our organizations and then really importantly how to ensure that they can advance their careers. Thank you very much Gail. Before you know talking about what changes we can make in order to really acquire more diverse talent and also be able to keep it I wanted to ask you you know would you be able to comment a little bit on the recent developments in the last few years, you know, how did this topic develop in the industry? So look, we've made absolutely massive strides across private equity, particularly in gender diversity over the last few years. And it has started with recruitment. And of course, from my um, observation point at PER, not only have I been able to see that, but also be involved in it. Um, and I think that what we've learned in our um, improvements in ways of doing things to bring better gender diversity into our business, we can perhaps take those lessons into other forms of diversity. So if we can apply what we've learned over the gender journey, maybe it won't take another 40 years to make progress on ethnicity, religion, socioeconomic background, sexual orientation, disability, and so on all those factors that create the really truly beautiful tapestry of our society today and it will be wonderful for that to be mirrored in our private equity ecosystem i think absolutely now gail you are obviously a truly expert when it comes to talent acquisition having founded private equity recruitment um so you know i wanted to ask you a little bit about how can we really attract talent in the first place when it when we're talking about diverse talent you know what are some useful tactics or practices that firms should use in order to attract diverse talent actually Yasmina I might sort of put the question a little bit differently I think this is less about attracting diverse talent and more about being prepared to accept diverse talent within our businesses let me just um, give you some brief numbers. So at PER, we place about 350 people a year in private equity roles, and we get 12,000 applications a month on our website for roles in private equity. And I don't think the issue particularly is about attracting people. It's about being prepared to hire people that are different. And I think one of the most important things we all should probably do if we truly want diversity in a business is to hold up a bit of a mirror to ourselves and stop perpetuating the myth that only people like us can do our jobs. So we have to say to ourselves, if we're committed to diversity, let's hire people not like 
And private equity, you know, there's a real challenge for private equity today in that I'm sure you all know there is a little bit of a profile, a cookie cutter type profile or CV of people that get hired. You know, they go to great universities. They um, have done the right internships. They have the right degrees. And they go to the right organizations to create the candidate pool for private equity. They go to investment banks, they go to big four, they go to strategy consulting firms. But actually, the real question is, are we prepared to substitute other backgrounds for this background that has, in our own mind, been proven to work? And this is a really difficult question, I think. For private equity because we're saying are you prepared to change something that isn't broken and whilst we still have enough people coming from those candidate pools then there is no incentive really to change so if we really want true diversity I think we've got to throw away the cookie cutter CV and ask ourselves the question why is this the perfect CV you know does three or four years at a top university produce infallible commercial judgments? Does it really give us insight into up and coming industries? Can those people see right through management teams who are after your money? And do they deliver the drive and ambition that enables us to build great rapport and relationships in everything we do? And I think if we start to look at the um, ability that people have to have, rather than the skills that they have gained, we perhaps open up more doors in our recruitment. So I think it's less about attracting people and more about having an open mind about what really constitutes the sort of person who will be successful in a private equity role. And look, I, I want to pose another really difficult question and something that you know I feel guilty of doing and know that we as a recruiter do all the time. And I call it the hiring boys in skirts. You know, we have been hiring girls into private equity who look exactly like our boys in terms of the background that they've come from. And good for them, they've achieved massive amounts of things. And now as a recruiter, you know, I'm being asked to find people who have a wider ethnicity but we just have to be careful that we're not just hiring the acceptable face of diversity by getting the same background, but with a different colored skin tone. So, you know, this is really difficult questions for private equity to address because on the face of it, this isn't broken, right? We do, does private equity really need to substitute from the backgrounds that it's always hired from? And the answer is yes if it really wants diversity. If you want diversity, we've got to hire people that don't look like ourselves, that don't come from the same background. So, you know, what can, what can people do about that? I think the first thing that maybe all organizations can do is throw away the concept of fit. You know, fit is such a dangerous word and we hear it all the time in recruitment. What does it mean? You know, fit cultural fit, our DNA, these are just, in my view, Jasmina, really just code words for someone like us. And 
Delivering in your recruitment someone like us isn't delivering diversity. I think we have to say to ourselves, are we prepared to have someone not like us in our organisation? So in our recruitment, you know, we've got to replace all this culture stuff with values and all this skill stuff with ability and maybe actively look for people who are not like us. So maybe when you're reading the next CV, you should be saying, can I see three things in this background that make this person different to our organization? Look, I don't want to bore you with too much talk about unconscious bias, because I know most people that will be listening here have had some, had some training on this, and we'll all have had some experience of our biases. But we all just need to recognize that no matter how unbiased we all think we are, we're all still really biased. And we're blind to those biases. That's the point of them. So when we try, we have to actually consciously look for people who are not like us. So we need tools and techniques to look for people who are different. And we have to avoid fit as a selection criteria. And, you know, you can start with the CV, right? So let's look for people who, for some reason, don't fit. Let's look for people who have the potential to be able to do the job, but aren't necessarily trained with those skills. And I would say to everybody who's listening, let's just give this a go. Try it out for yourself. Look for some people on a CV who aren't the usual people that you would hire. Look for someone who's not like you, maybe who doesn't talk like you. And I think the way people talk is a major barrier to diversity in our recruitment. And one of, the, one of the real biases that we've yet to really get over, and I know I'm conscious of it myself, you know, we want people to make the, the right impression when they speak. What is that right impression? And yet, actually, if we want to challenge ourselves on getting people from different regional or socioeconomic backgrounds, we have to think about this. So maybe they don't talk like you, maybe they don't dress like you. All the things that fuel our first impressions, perhaps they didn't go to the same university that you normally went to, and maybe they haven't had the same work experience that you and everyone else in your firm have had. We have to actively look for things that are different. And I think this brings me on to one more thing. And, and sorry, Yasmina, you're not getting much chance to ask your questions with my little rant here. But, you know, I do think it's very important when we start to look at people's CVs to try to put ourselves in the shoes of that person and understand the personal journey they went through to get to the point of their CV arriving on your desk. Thank you, Gail. I don't mind because you're basically answering all the questions that I had anyway. So it makes my job easier and I'm listening carefully to all the insights that you're giving us. Um, you know, once we're, I think a lot of people really think about the talent acquisition part a lot when it comes to diversity in order to, you know, really employ a diverse team but what really happens next, I find it equally or maybe even more important. And that's really the talent retention part. Um, and, and it's also even more complex 
than the talent acquisition part. Because once we get this diverse team, it's not as easy to actually be able to manage that team in a right way and to include everyone in the right way and to make such an environment that people feel good and they can really fulfill their, their biggest potential there. So, you know, what do you think or, or what are even your experiences with some of these like, successful or unsuccessful diverse talent retention you know once you manage to get somebody with diverse background hired do they usually stay in the firm or does it happen really often that they don't change jobs more often and you know you're absolutely right that getting in uh, our diverse people is just the start and whilst I also love the phrase retention we have to retain them I think organizations should start to say to start to talk about career advancement as well as retention of people. So first of all, we have to work out how to ensure they stay. And second of all, we have to work out how we ensure that they progress. So, and it's also a little bit around the fit thing as well. You know, what we don't want to do is, is, is squeeze our diverse people, our different people into the box that we're all squeezed in and we need to give them and everybody else in the firm, frankly, the opportunity to be themselves. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of a, co a conversation that I had in one of our women's breakfast workshops. We uh, run a workshop w w once every month for uh, females in private equity and it's a bit of a self-help group really. They talk amongst themselves to talk about the issues that they're facing. You know, and um, one of the women in our workshops really picked up on this theme and said she didn't want to have to change. She didn't want to have to be an aggressive self-promoter to get ahead in her organization. And she changed jobs and explained that in her current organization, the culture was welcoming and it, she'd found a way for her compassion and her understanding to take her to a senior position. And so I think within our organizations, the one thing we can do is really, really look at the definition of success. So I would urge, you know, the, the, the dominant demographic for a sort of politically correct way of saying um, the leadership in the business, I would like those people to really sit down and analyze what is it that Uh, leads to the career advancement of individuals in their organization. And to really pick that apart and dig down and question everything that makes the decision uh, appropriate for people. So, so if I just sort of try and give an example, and it's very crude, but just to help people think or, or think about how they might think about this. So, you know, for example, right, if Getting a deal done that year is the most important criteria for career advancement. Then you need to look deeper and say, what is it that somebody has to do to get a deal done? So, for example, do they have to um, promote their case for that deal in an adversarial investment committee where what matters is the ability to to really uh, promote that deal amongst a group of people who want to be as adversarial as possible. Now, 
that might work for some people, but that might not work for others. And maybe to succeed in an organization, we need to create a culture where we are able to listen to the quietest voice in the room as carefully as we're forced to hear the loudest voice in the room. So we have to look at the dominant demographic in the business and understand what is it that got them there? And are those the right definitions of success? Are they the right qualities for the success of our organization going forward? So really sort of think about that and pull it apart. Are we, um, are we uh, rewarding the right qualities um, that people have to show? And are we uh, stopping are more diverse people succeeding because they don't fit in that box. And, you know, it, it's a sad thing to say, but there are, if we look at the gender story, there are many, many um, females I have seen join private equity organizations and leave um, or be asked to leave. And when they've been asked to leave and I've spoken to either the hiring managers or my contacts in those firms, the general reason given as to why those women are no longer there is a phrase that goes something along the lines of, well, they didn't cut it. Well, didn't cut it on whose definition? You know, on the definition of what makes somebody succeed in that organization. So we have to really look at that. You know, and the other thing I think we have to do, we probably have to count. We really do have to do more counting in our organizations and start to, um, again, publish the results of our counting. We need to count um, through uh, levels and we need to count along pay lines as well. And we have to start, stop kidding ourselves that uh, senior women who are, um, you know, HR directors, finance directors, investor relations directors, you know, they are disguising the lack of senior women in investment roles in most private equity organizations. So we've got to be quite brutal, I think, in the way that we really look at the numbers in most businesses. And, you know, I think everyone's done really well. We've probably got in most organizations at junior levels, a third people are probably female now. So ignoring other forms of diversity for a minute. But, you know, by the time we get to a partner level, um, on the investment side, it's down to, well, most numbers would say 9 or 10%. But once you strip out the non-investment roles, we're down to probably less than 5% again. So what do we do to advance other people in businesses? So, you know, there's a lot. I think there's a, there's a lot that has to be done. Um, but within organizations, I think there's a lot more they can do to be more accepting of different ways of doing things. You know, and, and, and our diverse people can help here as well. Um, I do think there is, uh, there is a place for learning, for people learning how to promote themselves appropriately, how to build networks that are helpful for their careers. Um, you know, we have to take some, I, don't, I never like blaming the victim, but I do think we can take some responsibility for the development of our own careers and a few small things can make a difference. Oh, and you know what, while I'm on this subject, there is one thing. I would ask all senior level men in organizations to do, and that is stop getting arsy 
when women talk to you about money. You know, and I probably shouldn't have used that phrase, but honestly, I, I hear so many uh, situations where women go to talk about money and their line managers or their senior people really hate talking about money with women. And yet they're quite happy to talk to their guys about money, but they feel really defensive when women come to talk to them about money. And you know what? You can be absolutely assured that that female on your team has probably had many, many sleepless nights wondering how on earth they're going to bring up this conversation about money with you to be shut down by a defensive response. It's wrong. And this again, you know, check your bias and your privilege here. When you have a female who comes to talk to you about money, it's because they're really, really serious about it. They are not trying to get one over on you. They are not trying to get their hands on something they shouldn't have. They really, really need to talk about it. So please take a deep breath. Just listen to what they have to say. Thank you, Gail. This was uh, amazing reply. You literally run through questions that I'd ask you anyway. So, so I'm really enjoying this. Um, I actually would like to stay just a minute longer on this topic. What on the other side of the table can really diverse people do um, in order to also help this? Because I think we're at a situation now where it really has to come from both sides. And as you said, it's good to take responsibility and some small changes can go a long way. So, you know, what would be your advice there to, um, for, for those diverse people, let's say, to, to be able to also get into the firms uh, and on the other hand, also uh, feel happy, fulfilled and progress in those firms once they're in there? Yes. Yeah, so, so first of all, be prepared to speak up. You know, I mean, we are blessed with the fact that private equity is an organization, uh, is a, uh, you know, is an industry where it's actually fine to have a voice. So if you have one, just use it. Don't be scared, you know, and, 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 and if you ask any, any senior woman um, in any career or any part of the world, um, you know, what's the most, the, the, the best advice they would like to have given to their younger self? you know, 99% of the time, they'll always say they wish they'd spoken up sooner. And, and I don't mean speaking up against wrongs or rights. I just mean speaking up. If you have an opinion, just say it and be prepared to say it. And, and actually, one thing I do say in our workshops, and I would say to anybody who is a little bit different to the dominant demographic in the organization they work in, think about how to create your own brand, you know, your personal brand, right? What would you like to be known as? Because actually, if you start to think about it, right, your, your career is not going to progress itself. So, so create something, be something that is totally authentically you, but you're known for. So I can give you a great example, right? Well, one of my wonderful clients, a female, she's rising up the ranks. She said, she wanted to be seen as a kind and compassionate person as well as someone who had some insight. So, so what she did was in every single meeting, she decided she would always be the person who summarized the discussion and then raised the next question to move the discussion on. And she'd do it in a kind and welcoming way. So she used her natural talents, which 
you know, which were both her brain as well as her um, her compassionate personality to be kind, but also to deliver the insight and bring the room together and move the thinking on. And she's known for it now. And what happened now after doing it, repeating the behavior, people now in those meetings say, and I won't give a name, you know, what do you think? Where are we now? What should we be thinking about now? So she's created a personality and a brand for herself, which has allowed her to progress her career. So think about what you want to be seen as. And it could be anything. It could be the person who always asks the question about the management team fit. It could be the person who always asks the question about what's this organization doing about ESG? It could be the person who always asks the question about you name it, whatever it is. Start to be known for something. Create a personal brand. And once you have a personal brand, you actually have a place in the organization and a visible place that other people can see. So, so I think that's what my advice would be. You know, be prepared to speak up, absolutely. But think about what do I want to speak up on? It makes it more comfortable if you choose a subject and always go to that. And you'll start to be known for that. So we do have the opportunity to create create a personality and a space for ourselves in the organizations that we work in. Um, so I think that's one thing. And if I've got another minute, the other thing I would say is you do need to know who in the organization is responsible for your career development. And one thing you can do is make sure they know the value that you bring. Now, it's very important, I think, that we talk about value just for a minute that people bring, because I think there can be a tendency to think that hard work is the route to success, and it's not. Hard work's only part of it. What actually matters is adding value. And we can all learn how to talk about the value we add rather than the tasks that we do. And I think that's another important skill that everybody should learn, but in particular, those people who are a little bit different to the dominant demographic. Thank you very much, Gail. We're slowly got actually rather quickly, I have to say, we got to the end of the podcast. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, thank you for giving me this opportunity. You know, I'm, I'm really welcome to talk to anybody. I've got loads of practical ideas we can all we can all make use of. So, uh, you know, thank you, Yasmin. I really appreciate the opportunity to get involved. The pleasure's on my side. Before we jump off, I actually have three fast questions that we ask at the end of every podcast. And I'd like to ask also you. So the first one being, what is the technology that currently makes you most excited? Well, you know what? I'm a recruiter and I love LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is our route to help us be more diverse because it gives a platform for everybody to display their abilities and not just their skills. And it gives everyone that's hiring the opportunity. There is literally, there's no excuse. There's no excuse now we have LinkedIn not to be diverse. No excuse at all. Great. What do you do to take care of your mental health? Well, Yasmina, I um, speak up and I think having the courage and the opportunity to be able to say what you think makes a massive difference to one's mental health. To feel that you can't be yourself is, you know, is a terrible thing. So, so I think the best route to good mental health is, is to be yourself for sure. Very true. 
And last but not least, what are some resources that you would like to share with the audience? Oh, well, I mean, we have many resources on our website, but, um, you know, I, I, I have an old friend from 3i who wrote a wonderful book. It's a very easy read. It's called In Search of Thursday, and it's about his life as a, as a private equity investor. It's... Um, it's not written by a professional writer. It's written by somebody who used to do deals, who had um, a wonderful experience at 3i, and who really tells it um, as it is. So if you've all got time to read it, it only takes a couple of hours to read, and it's jolly good fun. It's called In Search of Thursday, and you'll find it on Amazon. Thank you very much, Gail. Now, I'd like to quickly summarize the conversation that we had to just you know, give uh, bits and pieces out there for people to remember. Um, and at the end, you tell me if I missed anything. So I think one important thing to say here is that we've done already a massive improvement in diversity over the last years, but we obviously still have a long way to go. Um, something to, to really do in order to, to, to get people, get diverse people into, into our teams is to really be prepared to accept people that are different from us, that are different from how you called it the cookie cutter CV, which is really an important thing to do. Um, you know, you can do it by looking at what are the things in this CV that are actually different from our organization and make that maybe to be a hiring criteria or, you know, who speaks different, who dresses different, who has different training from us, but who's actually able um, and apt to do the job. Another thing, once you get these people into your organization, it's really important to give them the opportunity to be themselves and give them the opportunity to grow and have this career advancement, obviously. Um, you can do it by you know, listening to the quiet voices, not only the loudest voices in your organization, and there's other things you can do. But obviously on the other side of the table, the diverse people can also take some responsibility and you know speak up give opinions really think about their career and intentionally guide it and advance it creating their brand um, and getting additional training for instance in negotiation when it comes to money but also other topics is there anything i'm missing that you'd absolutely like to add gail i think that was a wonderful summary asmina and um, yes, if we can all just do our little bit and, 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 and try to move away from this people like us. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you, Gail. Thank you. No, it's been great fun. Thanks, Yasmina. Thanks, everyone.